Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we talk about catching heavily pressured fish, taking a treble hook to the knuckle, Nick's new aquarium, and we discuss which braided lines work best in different situations. Hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It's been a few weeks since we've chatted with you last and a lot going on here. We've got a bunch of stuff to cover today. Um, We're hoping everything has been good for the listeners since we last chatted. And um, yeah, let's dive right into this thing. What uh, what's going on with you guys? Let's start with let's start with Nick first. What's up with you, man? All right. You always make a good choice, Josh. Let's let's just go right to the interesting stuff and then everyone can turn it off and go back to their day. (laughs) Yeah, it's been almost a month, embarrassingly, since we've chatted, or at least since the last episode went live. You'd think I'd have like Niagara Falls of just embarrassing folly and funny things to talk about. And I don't know if it's our early morning or what, but I was thinking, man, I'm losing my ability to make fun of myself, but I've redeemed myself in that department and uh, been out on the water a couple of times with my boat. And uh, you know how those episodes usually go. I took my kids bluegill fishing on saturday we're recording this monday morning early so two days ago and uh, i haven't had a dose of the weekend combat fishing on any of the salt river chain lakes this summer and i might have underestimated how um, aggressive those lakes get on saturdays i had myself a handful with a a seven-year-old and a three-year-old by myself as far as like uh recreational traffic or were there actually a lot of fishermen out there not a lot of fishermen yeah i went to canyon you know, uh, and I, yeah, I'm going to be surprised by that. Okay. My what time of day did you launch? That's the key. That is the key. And well, so we had to wait for Walmart to open to buy some supplies. So that was 6 a.m. They weren't open the day prior. Uh, no, uh, Walmart was Walmart strangely ceased to exist. Wow. You know, I plan things out so far in advance that normally, like, you know, yeah, right. Uh, I chose to watch Netflix with my wife uh, Friday <laughs> afternoon instead of going to Walmart to oh. prepare. So it was the lake's fault that it was busy and difficult. It had nothing to do with me. Mm, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I still launched. So launching wasn't a big deal at all. I got on the water at like 7.15 probably, and it was good. Um, but, you know, by 8.45, you have like, you know, 25-year-old pleasure boats full, full of uh, bros going 30 through the no wake zone right and then doing can openers off the bow and like you know just just having a good time that's okay the lake's a public space have fun it was like dude i'm literally in a no wake zone so that no one falls off of my boat like you got to slow it down i will dude canyon is it's probably the prettiest lake in our state but it's the white trash lake dude the white trash type of (laughs) boating happens in canyon it's where there's nowhere to hide yeah, half the boats that go out get towed back in. <laughs> yeah. I, so I was hanging out in the no-wake zone by that other ramp that I guess is kind of like dedicated to the campground. I don't feel like anyone uses it unless you're there. And in the process of sitting there catching bluegills next to that ramp, seriously, six pickle forks offloaded and like romped around and blew through the no-wake zone. And to your point, getting towed back in, I think all of them broke. Those things sound like they break even more often than my my nitro does. It's like- Yeah, it's not, that stuff's not even boating. That's just like mechanicking, if that's the right word. Like, <laughs> Seriously, it's like they probably have a Matco toolbox like oh, strapped yeah. out on the back of the pickle. Oh, board. Yeah. It's kind of <clears throat> like, maybe if I was at a car show, I would think that was cool. But when I'm at the lake trying to like, I don't know, like look at nature. It's not as cool, but we had a good time and it, w- it was all good. Um, caught some bluegill and I got my arm twisted into leaving a few of them in the live well and illegally transporting game fish home. And then we went to Petco and bought a what I thought would be a large enough aquarium for our new finned friends and tragically underestimated the size of five gallons. Um, and so we've got we've kind of got a hot tub going with mostly dead bluegill and i can see some cringing going on so i must be doing a good job of describing this um but they're they're uh the kids were happy and we had a good time so hopefully game and fish doesn't listen to this yeah they'll be coming for you i think they will too yeah Yeah. i've committed a lot of felonies in the last month so (laughs) hopefully this is towards the highest end of you know i think as long as I think as long as the fish are all dead now, I think it's fine. Which <laughs> they're not alive now. It's not. It's the whole. Yeah, I mean, if he's putting them in other fisheries, but if they're all dead now, 
there's really nothing they can pin them they on. They can come smell what it smells like in my laundry room. They wrote it out oh. pretty good. Um, the live well was was dicey, but my son thought it was so cool. Now it was going on as they were throwing like handfuls of mealworms into the aquarium. So it literally smells like like a fraternity bathroom on you know Sunday morning. It's pretty gross in there. So I'm gonna have to like don a hazmat suit and drain that out. But did they all die? Uh yeah. They it did. looked crowded in there, dude. I'm not gonna act like an aquarium know-it-all, but like you could just look at that and you knew it was gonna be trouble. Yeah. yeah. I should have got the 10 gallon aquarium, but it was like $15 more. So I, you know, made the financially responsible decision on a, you know, spur of the moment and thought, nah, I don't need that. And then as soon as, as soon as it took shape, I was like, yeah, that was a mistake. But yeah, it was equivalent to a 30 pound bag in a live well. And then the equivalent of the live well analogy of like, you know, you're running over wakes, getting back to weigh in and yeah. then flying around as a three-year-old just banging on the side of the aquarium <laughs> saying fish fish yesterday he's like i want to give him more worms and then i was like trying to put a stop to the worm feeding because it's effing disgusting and he's like writhing on the floor kicking the cabinets that it's sitting on top of and i'm like man i don't know what was worse for these guys swallowing a little gold aberdeen hook with a mealworm on it and or having to live here i think they probably wish they would have been put out of their misery but one sad note besides the confessions that I've done here was uh, coming home, you know, Canyon has that road of just, you know, anarchy. And uh, a Saturday at 1130 in the morning is like the depths of anarchy. And so we're like limping it around all the curves. And, you know, at this point, everyone's still awake. So it's like nonstop talking about things. I don't even know what's going on. And it like cycles from like laughter and hysteria and fun to like, screeching and screaming and like fighting and it like switches every 45 seconds at one point two sheriffs go flying by me like on the wrong side of the road around a blind curve you could tell they meant business and so i thought uh <laughs> wonder what we're gonna come up on well sadly we came up on a, a little swarm of bikers and one of the motorcyclists had gone off the cliff side no. of the road dude and they were all down there like 35 feet beneath the cliff and i'm sure it was terrible and obviously it was terrible. I was trying to prevent my kids from looking on that side. And that was enough to be like, man, like you just don't respect it. You know, it's just crazy. I don't know how that happens, but you know, it's just like, yeah, for anyone just, listening, that road is one of the most wild roads that you'll ever drive going to or from the lake. I mean, it's, and it's even worse going to the next lake above that Apache, but I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a road where you're driving through, the superstition mountains basically or you know right the those foothills. are the superstitions the foothills yep. of it and yep. uh you know there's several <clears throat> places where it's a it's a sharp turn and you're going like 15 to 25 if you're smart and and there's literally hundreds of feet of drop like a, a straight cliff off the side with no mm -hmm. guardrail in a lot of places and it seems to be like where all the fast and the furious go to like test out their latest modifications on their four cylinders and so there's just like swarms of people going 35 instead of 15 which doesn't sound like that much but there's there's tons of youtube videos of like dash cams of guys going over the edge and roll i mean it's just it's anarchy so in my true haphazard you know stupid form we we gave it a shot and we survived luckily we didn't roll over the edge but i was trying to distract him when we got there i was like look on that side of the truck yeah, like, look at yeah. that. that's a great looking saguaro over there Man, Gosh, Arizona man. wildlife. <laughs> well, hey, uh, back to the fishing. How many bluegill did you actually catch? Uh, catch I a bunch? Little, was it good? We finally figured it out. I thought they would be on cattails. And so I really was trying to hit toolies amongst like sandwich eating and chip smashing and fighting. And uh, it was not going on at all in the cattails, but I ended up catching them on boulders. And then it was huh. just like, it was just lights out. Like cool. we, And most of them were green sunfish, which I thought was kind of interesting. So caught a bunch of green sunfish and a couple of bluegills. And that was that. That's awesome, dude. Well, yeah. Glad you got out, man. That's good. Thanks. I will end with one positive thing. The best part was, is so my seven-year-old son has kind of alternated back and forth between being enthusiastic about fishing and not. And so recently he got enthusiastic again and says like, all right, let's go. And uh, he he was watching the bobber go down and reeling in. And a few of the green sunfish were probably like six or seven inches. And we have tiny little like ultralight setups. So he's like, it's so fun. I love, you know, nice. reeling them in when they're pulling. And I was like, okay, cool. Like now you see why we devote like 
hundreds of thousands of dollars to junk that doesn't work. And we deprive ourselves of sleep and drive on this road because we like how it feels when you're reeling in a fish. So, you know, welcome to the fraternity, my son. Cool. He's like really noticing that. That's awesome. Yeah. We're in the past and you know, it was all about like eating Oreos and splashing, you know, throwing rocks. <laughs> so it's cool. The progression continues. I like it, man. Good job, dad. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so Rob, looks like you're back in Arizona, dude. What, what's new your way? Yeah, I'm back. Um, I've, I went from full throttle fishing every day to, I haven't fished since I got back home. Um, ended up getting sick when I got home. I've been laid in bed for a week and then, uh, yeah, just getting back to normal right now. So, uh, I'm really anxious to get out and get fishing. So good, man. Yeah. Should go cool. to Canyon. It's really good yes. there. Sounds yeah. I'm gonna get some mealworms and go bluegill and. I'll even send you a coordinator too. Perfect. Perfect. Thank yeah. you. So, but at what point where? When did we record last? Where were? Where was you were I? Busy in winning tournaments in Minnesota. Yeah, I yes. mean, you were. You were kind of a big shot at that point, dude. And yeah. now that you're back down to earth, yeah. um, you know, back back to Arizona, <laughs> back where you oh. belong. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so how, well, how did the last, you know, week or two of Minnesota go? How was the road trip home? Cause Rob had yeah. to drive all the way home with a, uh, with a Labrador in his truck. So I had I'm curious how that went. It was, so I have an F one fifty, and it was me and my wife, my granddaughter and two Labrador, two Labrador. Oh, two. My God, two dude. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. So it, it was amazing. I mean, those dogs travel really well. So, and my That's granddaughter good. never complains. So it was, it was not bad at all. So dude, yeah. You got like the best behaved labs <laughs> and the best behaved granddaughter ever. Yeah. Like a, how old is she? She's 10. Did not complain for, in a never. 28 hour drive. Ridiculous. Yeah, she's a beast. Yeah. Cause she was on Snapchat and TikTok and everything nope. the whole time. Right. No, she just sits back there just and kidding. I don't know what she does, but she's just so <clears throat> well, she's your genealogy or your wife's genealogy. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure she's as like good natured as they come. Yeah. So, but fishing back there, dude, I like, I can't, I can't stop thinking about how good it was and how fun it was. And just the, just everything, the weather, the, the people, it, it was my only complaint about Minnesota is the restaurants suck. <laughs> <laughs> like you literally can't That's go fair. out. And- you can't have it all. No, you can't have it all. So I won't lie. I've encountered that too in my beloved second state of Alabama. I haven't figured out what food there really connects with me yet. And that would yeah. be the only thing I haven't figured out yet. Like what's, what's Minnesota got going on? Is it, is it just a lot of chain restaurants or even the ones that are like, it just, no. there's just like, no you'll see a hole, a hole in the wall. You're uh-huh. like, oh, that place has got to be great. Right. <laughs> and it's not, they're terrible. And then you get diarrhea but, and you're like, well, that was a mistake. Yeah. I mean, the thing about Minnesota, uh, sauces are ketchup and mustard and spices are salt and pepper so nice they're pretty bland and i can say that because i'm originally from there so i mean it's i'm not bagging on them i'm just that's just reality so well you can't have everything and i would take awesome fishing over awesome eating so yeah yeah for sure yeah but i was able to um spend a couple days with josh on malax which was phenomenal um we, we fished I don't, I'd say we fished very little. Do you agree, Josh? Yeah. Maybe like and, two hours a day. Yeah. But we spent a lot of time scanning and watching TV and, and driving, but uh-huh. he's patient. <laughs> I think for a lot of people that would just be boring. And for me, it was, it was a, a huge learning lesson. I mean, it was unbelievable what I learned in that period of time. So I feel like I could go back to Mille Lacs and actually, am I going to catch him like Josh? Probably not, but I think I could I catch the fish, you know? So pretty cool that's awesome dude i'm glad that you were able to come it was really fun i mean and you know so yeah it's it's boring when you're doing those long pre-practice days and i'm alone 99 percent of the time so it was pretty cool to have a buddy to uh yeah we were literally idling and talking uh smack for pretty much two straight days so and then the funny part was uh rob was so patient and i hit a point on the third day i stayed one more day rob had to head back home and i hit a point where it was like three o'clock i had kind of idled everything on the side of the lake i thought i needed to look at so i was like i'm just gonna fish pretty hard until dark and uh i got on like one of the better crankbait smallmouth big smallmouth crankbait bites i've been on in a long time <laughs> and it would have been really fun to have rob for that because we didn't get to do that i mean we literally i mean in the, the little bit of fishing that we did we did like a lot of drop shotting and ned rigging and stuff and we caught a, we caught some fish but not like that 
you know, hour or two that I had going. So um, that'll be for next time that we get yep. out there. But yep. it, it that, was really fun. That lake is definitely on my list for next year. I mean, it's literally two hours from where we were staying. So uh, I could do, a, you know, an overnight trip there. I could do a day trip. It wouldn't be that bad either way. So um, <laughs> But definitely uh, look forward to that. Mill Axe is pretty large. Sorry to cut you off, right? Isn't Mill Axe a dude? It's old? it's legit. Like, and that it also. Um, I know people take for granted how rough those lakes are, and how <laughs> how guys like Josh can stand on the front and still run all their electronics and catch fish on top of it. Like, I, I guess I'm just getting old, dude. I thought like I could do it. And I can't. Yeah, you can. It's dude. just, dude. It just takes a little bit of practice, but yeah. But it's, it's just. I feel like I was a lot better at it when I was younger, and it's amazing how how those physically demanding it is. Dude, it's it's just balance. I mean, uh-huh. I've always thought I really had really good balance, and I don't like. It's not. I mean, and like Josh says, it's a it's a practice thing. I but think still, you're out of practice. That's all. But I dude, get I get what you're saying. Dude, it's legit. Like they're bouncing up and down and I don't know, just next time you watch it on live, just realize how like <laughs> that stuff's real. Yeah. It, it, that lake's crazy because it's, it's about a 20 mile by 20 mile bowl, give or take a couple okay. miles. And uh, it's really shallow. So 20 miles doesn't sound that bad, but dude, <laughs> you know, if it blows like 10 out of one direction, it's rough it on the other side. And like, yep. there was a lot of like, so, in pre-practice like this you look at the whole lake and there was a couple mornings even last week where it looks great on one end of the lake you know you're driving around the lake and you know you're gonna launch say you're down south and you're gonna launch up north and it is rough down south like oh my god it's gonna be horrible out there and you drive to the north side and it's nice or vice versa it looks like a nice morning down south and you got a 12 mile, mile an hour breeze coming from the south and you get up to the north end and there's three footers, dude, two and a half footers. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, just a nice use of the mute button there, Rob. Um, VIP right there. I'm going to, I'm going to be hitting it here in a minute when my wife shows back up from walking. So nice dogs are going to nice, ballistic. Yeah. It's just, and you got to play the wind like so much on a lake like that. You just have to plan it out and have fish on probably at least two sides of the lake, because if you're there for a multi-day tournament, Gonna there's going to be one off. day where there's three to five footers on, on your side of the lake. And, and, you know, it's, sometimes you can fish through that, but a lot of times you're better off fishing the other side of the lake. Yeah. In that instance. Even, even fun fishing. I mean, what, at what wind does it, I mean, is there a certain wind where the whole lake is just screwed or is it, I mean, are you, I guess you're you, always going to have one side that's okay. You know, and, yeah. and a lot of times it's got, you know, whether it's South or North, there's usually a little West or East to it. So You'll probably have, you know, a corner. Oftentimes you have two sides of the lake that are fine, right? Worst case one, but yeah. And, and sometimes you just have to deal with it. I mean, there was, I told, told you about that one, the last day of the last tournament I fished there, I had to just deal with it in my main area and just fish through the waves and, and I got through it, but it was not pleasant at all. So I don't know it, it but that's just a part of the tournament strategy. And like the more you do it, the more you have to, really pay attention to what that weather forecast is going to be in practice for the wind for sure yeah i'm so anxious for that tournament to happen just to see i mean you guys have such a it's such a different approach when every fish counts versus a five fish limit especially on a body of water like that so it'll be interesting it'll be cool yeah i think it'll be uh, really good for sure yeah all right Right, so wrap it up man what was your favorite experience in minnesota if you had there to pick go, nice. one or two, what was the, what was like the highlight of this year's Shutterfly album that you're going to make of your memories? Dude, I can't, I can't pick one. I mean, it was, it was incredible. Just every day waking up, you could literally go to any body of water there. I, I mean, I had a couple tough days. Um, I committed to fishing a tournament on, um, on a, a small lake that, uh, with my, my cousin's sons, I guess he's my cousin still, but, um, and it was, we had a blast. We caught a ton of fish and just, you know, that lake just didn't have big fish in it. So, I mean, that was probably some of the toughest fishing I did. Um, but overall, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, you don't catch giants. I think the biggest fish I caught was a five pounder there. Um, but I, I can't even count on 
how many fish over three pounds I caught, you know? So, and I think next year, I think a couple of days, if I spend a couple of days at Mille Lacs or maybe one of those more smallmouth um, type Focus lakes, fisheries. I think, uh-huh. yeah, I think I want to do that. So anyhow, I haven't answered your question. Um, there's one lake I went to twice. It was probably the, probably the best lake that I fished. And uh, Boyd and I went there one day and we caught, I don't know, like we had like 35 blowups on frogs. I brought my buddy Les there and literally in the first two hours we had like 20 plus frogfish. <laughs> and then we went looking for another deal and we come around the corner and there's like the winds blowing and <laughs> there's, there's a little cove that's completely glass. I said, let's go in there and throw a frog. And, and I start coming around this point and the wind's blowing and Les throws a chatterbait across this point. And thank God he did. He catches a fish. So I turn around and I throw my chatterbait up there and I catch one. He catches another. Anyhow, we ended up <laughs> turning the boat into the wind and spot locking. And we caught, I mean, for two plus hours, we caught more. It was ridiculous how many fish we caught. Every cast. <laughs> and it didn't matter what you threw. For two I mean, hours. <laughs> oh, it was unbelievable, dude. Like major league fishing spot of all time right there. Yeah, um, seriously. <laughs> yeah. So, and then like literally, um, like two hours into it, I catch this big giant pike oh. and, we, and we never got another bite. Oh, so no, big wild. dog showed up wow. on the spot wow. and wow. shut it down. Scared yeah. everything off. Yeah. You think that's but what happened? I don't know. It just changed the whole deal. And we were so stoked on how good it was. Like, you, yeah. like when you're on a spot and it's that good, you can't really make like 10 casts and not get a bite. You're just like, okay, it's over. Let's go. <laughs> good point, dude. You start going like, yeah, a handful of casts. You're like, oh, dude, it sucks. Yeah. Not having yeah. it in here. Are there musky like in that lake? Is that a lot of those muskies or are those northerns? So those were northerns. Um, I fished one lake that had, well, I fished multiple lakes that had muskies, but I fished one with my, uh, uh, with a family member up there and he ended up catching a small muskie, which was pretty cool. So, that is cool. I'd, I'd love to target yeah. them someday. It'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I mean, that's right up your alley. It's like the swim bait deal. So yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I saw an you amazing talk about follows and sightings and I think there was one in that fish. cove, that type of stuff. Yeah. That's why I gravitate to those because I don't catch fish. So you have to pick a like side channel of fishing, you know, hobby yeah. that you don't catch fish. And then you can be like, Oh yeah, I'm one of you guys. That's cool. But yeah. like we, we, we saw a flash of one on the other side of the lake. So it was a good day. Yeah. Fishing that, uh, that one tournament I fished, I saw a guy literally 50 yards from me, hundred yards from me. He caught a pretty good size, huh. size musky. So it's pretty That's cool. cool. But anyhow, on to Josh, dude, what do you got going, man? Yeah. Uh, over here, it's been, you know, fairly busy. I, I was stoked to get up North and do some fishing as well. Over the last couple of weeks, I fished a bunch. I, I was over there with, uh, Rob at, uh, Malax, And then, um, I, went over to Cayuga and fished stage six of the, uh, Bass Pro Tour. So that was my last tournament and, uh, went pretty well. Um, you know, it was a, a pretty, it was just, a kind of a, kind of an all-time week as far as tournaments go, as far as what was caught out there. Um, you know, a guy caught a seven, 10 smallie in our tournament and the <laughs> tournament was ultimately one on smallies, but dude, the lake showed out so much on largemouth and, and really like, I can't say regrettably because I still had a good tournament, but like I, I never even cast for smallmouth and kind of irritates me that it was dominated by smallmouth by the guy Connell who won. But overall, it was still 90% largemouth weighed in and uh, just a heck of a lake. Um, How many and, you know, miles is that from Santan Valley, Arizona? Yeah, dude, I drove. <laughs> And so far 2300 miles <laughs> one way wow. dude, it's like the diagonal of the united states it is it's across the country <laughs> literally drove across the country so thank god for my sake fantasy football is coming so i used the entire drive to listen to the nerds <laughs> on fantasy football radio x sirius xm for That's the hilarious. entire time so nice. literally, I mean, and James did the same thing. Elon, we traveled <laughs> together and uh, we're getting ready. We got our. You only had half the our, drive though. Yeah. Yeah. For, well, yeah. T- yeah. Two thirds of it loser. anyways, but yeah, exactly. I got a whole extra day of studying on him, but <laughs> just listening to this the whole way. So I'm prepared, man. I'm prepared for my drafts and stuff like that. Um, go ahead, Rob. My favorite thing is when all these, uh, 
Southeastern uh, professional anglers complain about driving like 20 hours. It's cute. It's hilarious. Yeah. They, I mean, they got nothing. Anyhow, that's it, my it, I agree. I agree. I could, I could go on for days about that, dude. Yeah. Yeah. They would literally bellyache about coming out here one time, but we do it every <laughs> time. You know, it is what it is. It's all good. Uh, you only know what you know. So, yep. Um, but overall, that lake, man, it's just crazy. It, it, I would put it in the top probably five lakes in the entire country. If the whole thing fished a little bit bigger, you know, it fished pretty dang small. And I knew that was going to happen. I mean, the lake is huge. It's, it's part of the Finger Lakes region in New York and it's, it's 38 miles long and like two miles wide. So what's interesting about it though, is there's only bass habitat in certain areas. Like it's very flat on the Northern five miles of the lake. So you have lots of good grass lines and, you know, bass structure up there, but you go South of that and the lake just goes off the bank and drops into 400 feet of water. And uh, it's full of big lake trout and stuff like that, that people fish for. So it's cool for that. But like, I knew it was going to fish small. What I didn't know is it was going to fish this well for this long. Like, and what's crazy too, is like the North end of the lake where it's really flat, you get milfoil and coontail eel grass, other types of grass that grow out smack dab in the middle of the lake. So it's 12 to 17 feet deep. And that grass huh. grows to where the fish get out into the middle of the lake, but there's no contour. So you have to, a huh. lot of times find the irregularities in the grass, find the bait. And that's how you find your sweet spots. Well, I really like my game plan was to grid out that entire North end of the lake in the middle and find the sweet spots in that grass, try to find as many as possible. I was not going to mess with boat docks. I wasn't going to mess with any other little deal, just, just doing that. And then I get out there the first morning of practice, massive algae bloom across that whole oh. middle section of the lake. <laughs> so I fish for like two hours and don't catch crap. I catch like two unhealthy looking bass and literally half the field is with me. And then after like three hours, there's like no one up there. So obviously everyone had to pivot myself included and, you know, just ran down Lake until we got out of the algae and there was still enough, but now instead of having five miles of that, now you have two miles of like really good grass lines Healthy water. for all these guys to fish. And uh, it was good. I mean, the first day of practice, I found maybe a dozen groups of fish, you know, spots where, you were kind of on the edge of a grass line and we figured out pretty quickly that if you could find the healthy green milfoil, you were a lot better off. You know, there was lots of other types of grass. There was a lot of hay grass that we have even in our lakes out here. Um, but a hay grass, it held some fish, but it didn't hold fish like milfoil. It was amazing. The difference, the milfoil was full of bait, much easier to fish. The hay grass is like this dead tall twig looking grass that kind of clumps up and your bait would just touch that hay and it would just collapse on the and just like you couldn't rip your bait clean right whereas the milfoil you're cranking through the milfoil or drop shot into it and your bait comes through clean you snap it free and the milfoil breaks and your bait's still clean so a lot better to fish the milfoil and coontail than uh, that um, hay grass but um, so that was the whole deal finding as much of that and I knew it was going to be crowded. You know, I, again, I missed, I, I didn't even know the smallmouth had blown up the way they had. So there was a handful of guys targeting smallmouth, but 75 out of the 80 targeting um, the uh, largemouth, you know, and I was one of them. And uh, the first day of the tournament went, the weights were just really good. I mean, I had like 45 pounds, 44 pounds, and I was in like 17th after the uh, first day and I was only in the cup by like two pounds out of the 40 in my group. So um, I knew the second day was going to be a real close one. We get out there on the second day and I didn't have like a great starting spot. And, and a lot of times in, in a tournament like that, you really, it's so helpful to have a good starting spot where you can pull up and go bang, 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 and at least get yourself get some a momentum. cushion. Yeah. Momentum. And I didn't have that all three days, man. I, I started slow and it happened again <laughs> the second day when the pressure was really on. So I, and then I end up burnt. So I, I catch one on a crankbait and I go to grab it. And the fish were so healthy and thick that they were hard to grab behind their back. Like typically you can grab a three pounder, smaller fish 
behind its gills or around its gills and get it. Well, these fish, they were so meaty, dude. It was just hard. They're real muscly. And I've got one hooked on a crankbait early in the morning on the side of the boat. And it's not that big. It's like a two and a half and it's not hooked real well. So I can't swing it. I look at it and I decide I'm going to grab it. Well, dude, just like in the blink of an eye, I go to grab this thing. Uh, my hand slips down its back and one treble is in the fish and one is buried uh, past the barb down to the bend on the uh, underside of my index finger into the knuckle. And uh, <laughs> the fish is still in the water. So I literally just go like this and lift it into the boat by my finger. You, know, you can't grab it. Like at that point, I'm like, let's get over. in the boat first. Yeah. So I just lift it into the boat by my hooked finger and uh we get the fish unhooked and i'm pissed because like i don't have any time dude now at this point i'm like in 19th or 20th and uh i gotta get this hook out and so i take the fish off and one really important thing to have in your boat is a good pair of cutters that you can cut a hook with or cut a split ring with so i you know luckily i've got a pair of those and i cut the split ring off and like one mistake that I've seen guys make is they cut the hook too close to where you're actually hooked and it sucks back in. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, yeah. I mean, that's a no brainer, but guys, you're not thinking straight when you hook, I've seen guys do it. So you want to keep the whole hook intact, but you need to separate with a crankbait. You got to separate it from the bait. Cause we've also seen guys try to pull the, where they pull one hook out and they hook themselves with the other hook on God. the way out. So <laughs> can't do that. So I cut the split ring and we do the line trick and, and, you know, I've done it on the finger too, where did your official do the yanking? Yeah. I had a good boat official, thankfully. And you got to yeah. make sure when you're hooked in the finger, when you go to pull it out, there's no give, right? Your finger can't move. Otherwise it's not going to come out. So I kneeled on my finger. So it wouldn't <laughs> move and then held it, you know, held the eyelet down to get the uh-huh. right angle. And the guy, we had some braid in the boat and my boat official, um, I think his name was Mark that day. He was awesome. He, he ripped it out and uh, it came out the first shot and it, it was all good. So anyways, I mean, a long story, but just a, a 10 minute delay. And then the day started, dude, I, I was in and out of the cut either 10 or 12 times through the course of the day. So literally rode the cut line all <laughs> day long. And uh, as stressful as it was at the very end of the day, I, uh, I made it in in 19th. So uh, <laughs> unbelievably, str- it took me like literally a whole evening to unwind. Like I hadn't <laughs> felt like I made the cut. E- even like when I was eating dinner that night, I was still like wound up like a ball. So I, I can't uh, imagine, dude, I, I'm, I'll be honest and it's completely pathetic, but I can't even watch when it's like that. <laughs> sorry dude that's just it's just reality it's like, painful I man i mean it's yeah. uh it's a lot more fun when you're because when you're on the cut like that like i don't know you just have to you fish a lot differently than you do like when you're you're not free at all you can't you can't take any risks at all you can't you can but you're really asking for it if you go look for maybe say you got a wad of fish here, you can't explore 50 yards that way or that way, because in that 10 minutes while you're exploring, you're falling behind. So literally you just have to, you can't waste any time. You have to fish where you think you're in productive water every minute. And, uh, you know, you catch a fish and literally as soon as you weigh it, it's like, okay, oh my God, God, how do we get another one? We got to get another one. Got to get another one. It's crazy. So it's fun, but, uh, yeah. Anyways, I made the cut barely. And, uh, the second day of the, the third day knockout round fishing was just really good again. And it blew my mind. And it's what I wanted to talk about, you know, as like a fishing lesson in today's podcast is like how well the lake held up and the adjustments guys made to keep catching fish when it was so highly pressured. Like, I mean, I caught fish out of the same areas three straight days and the weights were just as good, if not better. I mean, the last day I had 51 pounds and I was 16 and I, it took about 60 to make the top 10. And I, I mean, I had the bites to do it, which everyone probably did. I think I lost three or four fish that last day, which I hadn't lost any up to that point. And, but that's just part of the game, but like for it, the same places to be producing that well, that many days in a row, um, guys were learning more every day about timing And what was interesting was like, we were all fishing grass lines and you might have a grass line that was a mile long, but there would be 
key places where the fish would kind of wad up. And you might catch one here and there, but there were little key corners or places where the grass, a lot of times it was just where the grass was thicker or made a harder edge that you, and where it was actual milfoil where the fish were at, right? And um, that was the that was the biggest thing was like recognizing those areas and then hitting them multiple times. If you stayed on one of those places, the fish would never set up, right? Like say you pull up to one and you don't catch any fish. If you sit on it, for whatever reason, the fish didn't seem to want to set up. You'd have to let it go, give it some breathing room, come back. And, and sometimes it was your third or fourth visit to a place like that. And you'd go bang, 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 and catch three for 10 pounds off that one spot. So pretty interesting. And of course, when you have that many boats hitting those lines, they don't get time to rest, right? Because like, as soon as you pull off, someone pulls in, everyone figures out the key spots. Like every morning when you would start, you would, I would, you know, I had, like I said, about a dozen places and every one of those 12 had a boat right on it. And it doesn't look any different to the eye than, you know, 50 yards down the way, but everyone finds the same exact thing. And uh, so figuring out how to time it right and then how to get, how to get the fish to bite. And there's two, there was two dominant uh, techniques, uh, drop shot and crankbait, which are total opposites. But those are the best two ways to catch pressured fish in the summertime. And, and it's a totally opposite approach, right? The crankbait, you're making them react. Like it didn't have to be windy. It didn't have to be cloudy for them to eat the crankbait. It didn't matter. It was just all about a reaction. So you're burning mm. that crankbait, <laughs> ripping it out of the grass and making them react to it. And then the drop shot's the opposite. It's the total most finesse presentation. And anything in between didn't just didn't work as well. Like you could slow roll a big vibrating jig or something like that. And when the conditions were optimal, you'd catch a few fish, but not like you would with a crankbait or drop shot. And, and that was pretty much what I did. And I think what 90% of the field did too. Talk about how, how did you get dialed into the crankbait and how did, how do you show, it just blows my mind when you watch live and everybody's doing the same thing. Like, like how does everybody get dialed into that? Is there yeah. I mean, there's some talking between the guys, but of course I yep. think everyone knew going in, uh, that's what everyone started practice okay. with. I mean, it's just, okay. that's just, uh, those are the best ways to, to get those, those deeper grass fish to bite. And, and the crankbait's great because you find them with it. Right. I mean, you can yep. cover so much water, fan cast that thing. Um, and what's cool is you, you catch the grass and that's a really big deal too. It's like, you can see what the grass uh -huh. looks like on your, on your screen, but catching the grass is so key because you get to see what you're actually fishing. And like, yep. I mean, I had a couple places that the one place I had to myself was literally in a flat abyss for just forever of grass. And it was forever of that nasty hay grass and eel grass. And there was one basketball court size area with milfoil and coontail. And I never would have found it without a crankbait. You know, oh. if you're trying to drop shot through it, it's hard to feel. You might've caught a fish and, and known, but uh, the crankbait, you catch the grass and, and you're instantly like, Ooh, what is this? You know? And, and you literally, you'll go a mile, you'll go 30 minutes without a bite, just cast, 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 got your trolling motor on high. And all of a sudden you catch that grass and then boom, catch a fish. <laughs> and then five minutes later, catch another fish. And it, it, uh, it was like a magnet to those fish. So the crankbait's a great way to find them. And Talk the drop shots just so effective at making a bite. Talk about your crankbait setup. What what were you what were you using? Yeah, primarily? so like I was using some different like medium to deep diving crankbaits. What's interesting too is like so all around the country we always want to hit the bottom with our crankbait, but you go up north and a lot of times you're not hitting the bottom. You're just ticking the grass and you're just fishing it. Even some of the smallmouth deals, you're not hitting the bottom at all. You just want to get it around the fish, so you're within a few feet of the bottom. But the boat might have been sitting in 15 feet. And the grass came up three feet off the bottom. So you want a crankbait that runs 10 to 12 feet. So, you know, I was throwing like a dredger 10.5 and a couple other like 10 to 14 foot diving crankbaits. And you would sometimes make a cast and never feel anything. Sometimes you'd make a cast and have to snap it two or three times to clear it of the grass. But, uh, you know, just, just a crankbait that's barely getting to those fish, but not too, too thick into the grass. And you can make little adjustments. Like sometimes you got the perfect crankbait, but you're just getting it a little too deep. You might just upsize your line just a little bit. Like instead of using 10, I was using 12 just to get that, that half foot less 
into the grass just to make it a little easier. And, um, you know, I've, I've seen guys that that'll crank with like 15 just to, to keep it from getting too thick into the grass. So did you have a whole variety set up? I mean, for different spots, you'd have a different rod or different. Yeah. I had like different, like three crankbaits set up. Yep. And, uh, yep. yep, Three, three crankbaits and two drop shots. And that was kind of all I threw. So that was nice. Um, not having to worry about too many. The whole key in that tournament was finding the fish. Catching them was not easy, but easier than normal. But finding them was the whole thing. And then, uh, you know, having the right timing. And, um, you know, I mentioned I did want to just make one quick shout out too for that 710 Smalley. I mean, that's over a seven and a half pound Smalley that Dakota Ebear caught. What a so unbelievable what, at fish. what point is the world record smallmouth? Is it like over 10 pounds? One of those just like three it is 10 plus. Is it 12? I don't know. You probably know better than I do. Let's Google. I think it. it's 10 plus. Yeah. All right. yeah, yeah. All you have to do is Google. Um, but so I, I was just wondering if we were like sneaking up on record status. What's the New York state record? It was less than a pound from the New York state okay. record, right. which was actually caught at Cayuga this spring, dude. Okay. So what a freak show, man. And that lake, apparently it's getting a lot more gobies in it. So the smallmouth okay. population is starting to blow up. I mean, I remember fishing there 10 years ago and having tournaments at the elites. And, you know, there would be like guys would be, catching like two smallmouth and saying, I, I, you know, that's all I could catch. There just aren't that many in here. Uh -huh. And I mean, it was one on smallmouth. So pretty crazy. Um, I think the lake, I don't know how many places there are to do that out there, I think, but I think it'll look a lot different if we ever go back now that the smallmouth have been exposed and it makes me want to really do it. Um, it's fun as largemouth was, but, um, overall good tournament. Um, well, go ahead, Rob, you got the, you got the size. Dude, I have to, I'm, I'm muting because my dogs are going off, but we can't even um, hear them though. Yeah. They're our special guests today. Yeah. World record smallmouth is 11 pounds, 15 ounces. God, 1955 right. too. Just shy of 12. And it was out of Dale hollow. 1955. Wow. Yep. How cool. That's awesome. So still a giant. I mean, an eight pound, seven and a half pound smallmouth is like, I, when's the last time you ever heard of something like that? I mean, that's like freak yeah, status. I've never seen one caught live in a, you know, professional tournament that big anyways, you know, they get yeah. caught, but like, have you guys ever seen one caught in a major tournament like that? Like no. on camera? No, no, that's legit. What's great is like Dakota gets massive playoff one bite, you know, which is. Yeah. And dude, I mean, cool. well, and he played it perfect, right? Like if you are, and it was all raw motion too, but yep. like, yep he played it very wisely business wise yep. as yep. he was catching the fish. I'll just say yep. that. I mean, big yep. props to him, dude. He's a heck Absolutely. of a fisherman. I knew he's new on our tour this year and I knew I've been watching that dude for the last five years. And oh, yeah. uh, he is going to be one, sure. of the, one of the top 10 guys in the world for the next 20 years. I guarantee it. He's a hammer, yeah. but um, anyways, uh, the last thing on the fishing side I wanted to run into before we, uh, wrap this thing up was a braided line fishing. You know, there's, I get, it's a lot of people ask what braid, well, the most common question I get as far as line goes is what braid you use on your spinning rods. But I want to take this into the whole, um, the whole rod and reel spectrum, just because we have a couple minutes to do it. And there's a, there's just a million different types of braided lines out there. You know, uh, 10, 12 years ago, there, there wasn't as much to pick from, but now every single company that makes line makes a braid and they're all a little different. And, uh, I know I want to see what applications you guys use braid for. I know Rob, you use less braid than some, but you still use a lot, man. So, um, what applications do you throw braid on right now? Right now i I frog with braid anywhere from 50 to 65 pound braid. And I don't think it matters what type of braid I use um, because it's on the surface and no big deal. Um, all my spinning rods are braid. Um, and I've just started messing around with braids on those. I've always used like a 10 pound uh, power pro, just real basic, you know, and then I started using the slick power pro. And then now I'm using like a Daiwa J braid. And I just, I'm kind of experimenting with it a little bit. Um, but I'm not seeing huge differences, you know? Um, and then being up North, I've got this fascination with, uh, the, the, uh, hair jigs, the flies, the smallmouth flies, you know? And so I got a special rod for that, a new reel for that. And, 
um, I, I didn't get to jump into it a whole lot cause I, the bodies of water that I, that I was fishing didn't really play to that as much. Um, but I just put Nanofill on that, which you said they they stopped making Nanofill, which unfortunately, is unfortunate. Yeah. But that I learned that from you because it's, um, I believe you throw spy baits on that and stuff that you really need to cast far. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, anything you want to cast far, a little swim baits, spy bait, yeah. hair jig. Yep. Yeah. And do you consider Nanofill a braid? It is right. Yeah. I, I'd call it a super line. Right. Yeah, like, okay. uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it fits in the braid category more than an, yeah. any other category. So yeah, for yeah. sure. And it's like a fused line, like yeah. Fireline and Nanofill are both Berkeley products that there's, they call them like, you know, uh, the the guys that are in charge of making them are the guys that make the braids and they yeah, call it the yeah. super line department yeah one of the cool. fascinating things i find about braid though is um when a rigs came out when that was like a big deal right everybody was throwing it on 85 pound braid because they're throwing a <laughs> yeah, rope dude because they're throwing you know 40 dollars out there right and they wanted to be able to rip it out of trees and whatnot and now it seems like a lot of guys throw it on a 20 or 25 pound uh, fluorocarbon and they feel like the braid like freaks the fish out because of the vibration and blah 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 which blows my mind when you have a bait with all these wires and blades and whatnot, <laughs> yeah, it's, right? it's, so, <laughs> yeah it's ironic isn't it kind of kind of an interesting take on it though yeah um, <coughs> excuse me <coughs> man i'm dying over here get this man um, an oxygen bottle stat yeah holy cow sorry um but I'm trying to think what else I throw on braid. I mean, I flipped a little bit in Minnesota with braid and a leader, uh, which seemed to work really good. My problem there is like, man, you, you really got to worry about your drag now. I mean, when I flip with mo or mono or fluorocarbon, I just wrench my drag all the way sure. down tight. And, but with braid, you got to be careful because you have way too much power, you know, you either got to. Yeah. So you're tearing your, holes into the fish, right? When you hooks, set the hook. Just breaking yeah. stuff, right? Sure. So, but I enjoyed that in the real heavy cover, um, in the pencil reeds back there, like the braid would cut through it pretty good. Um, but, and then you go to docks and you don't want to throw braid cause your line wraps around it. And it's just, man, it's, it's all over the board. It, so, it is kind of endless. And, and, and yeah. uh, the one thing, the one other thing you didn't mention that I would say braid is such a killer with is just general topwater fishing. Um, you know, because it floats and it has instant feedback when you twitch it, whether it's a walking bait or a, a plopping style bait or a buzz bait, it's really tough to, I mean, you could go straight mono and I know that's effective and guys still do, but it's really tough to be braid. It casts like, I mean, say you have a, a good casting 30 pound braid, you can cast that a lot further than you'll cast a walking bait with mono. So advantage is there for sure um i i definitely need to try that and step into that because i've like i've been mono 100 that way and it's probably just because i haven't tried it with braid so yeah you know i mean and there's there's definitely time and place for sure like i still always have some like 20 pound or 17 pound 15 pound mono in at least my truck that I will spool up if I'm fishing a certain top water, a certain way, but really I use braid more often. And uh, so obviously there's a ton of applications there. And then to step it back, like talking about the different types of braid, the biggest differences that you're going to get with the different braids are the amount of strands in the weave. So like a power pro or a Berkeley X five, those are your more basic, like, Power Pro, I think, is a four strand. The X5 is a five strand. That's where the five is. And those are going to be some of your most reliable, easy to use, tough, problem free braids. Another one is that new Dura braid from Spider Wire. I think that's a four carrier. And again, like the less weaves, the rougher it's going to feel to the touch. Like you run your finger down it. And you feel it, you hear it going through your guides. Some people don't mind it. Some people don't like that, but you're never going to have problems. It, it, um, is great around grass because, and I, I, earlier you mentioned that, you know, doesn't matter so much throwing the frog cause it's on the surface. But what happens is once that fish is hooked and he takes you into the grass, there is a difference between using a, a rougher braid and a smoother braid because that rougher braid is going to cut through the grass a lot better. Yeah. But 
you're sacrificing, you're hearing it through your guides every cast, and you actually might lose a little casting distance because it doesn't cast as smooth as some of the, like an X9 from Berkeley or one of the Japanese braids. So there's give and take. And like, you find out what you like, find out what you don't. If you're fishing around wood, you know, the smoother braid is going to be a great option throwing the frog around like wood and lay downs and stuff like that. But if you're in pure, if you're fishing down in Florida, I'm taking that rougher braid. That's why Bobby Lane likes that Dura braid so much because he's just fishing in slop, man. And, and uh, having that rougher braid is going to help, um, you know, cut it a lot easier. And uh, so I would say like the, the, the Japanese braids, the, the higher strand, the eight, nine strands, those are smoother. They might cast a little further but they're also going to be more susceptible to like to knotting up because they are so soft that like whether you're using it on a spinning rod or a uh, bait cast and heavy cover, like the wind can blow them and wrap and make a knot around your rod guide. If you hold it the wrong way, um, they are a little less abrasion resistant. Like you might have a little bit better chance of breaking one of those than you would the lower strand count. Um, and then over time, like over a long time, sometimes they'll like flatten out a little bit, a little bit, whereas like the lower strand counts will always kind of stay round. Have you noticed that? Yeah. It, yeah. It kind of frays up and just gets tough looking. Right. But, For sure. But, and, I mean, but you're still getting a lot more life out of the, uh, out of that than you are yep. um, flora or mono, but just again, like a little bit more maintenance is uh, required. Yeah. The, my tip with that, and I'm sure I've said it before, is you, if you wear out that end of your line, you just pull it out and reel it in the other direction. Have you no ever doubt. done that? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just reel it onto one reel and then reel it back or, you know, however you want to do it. I mean, you would have to, yeah, I guess you'd have to pull it off. Using another reel. reel is the ideal way to do it yeah. because it's coming yeah. off of tops, come, going onto the bottom yeah. of the next one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great tip. Um, but yeah, so like, it's kind of a nerdy conversation, but like, really, if you're going to, in my opinion, if you're just, if, if you're not wanting to mess with it, want to have a couple braid rods, re, you know, stick with those lower strand counts, the four to the five Berkeley X five is my pick. But if you are one of those guys that has 20 rods and you got a real problem like us, you get 20, 30 rods and um, you go in depth with it like experiment with both for the top water stuff. We were talking about top water. I love the smooth braids for that. Like 30 pound X nine is so smooth. And uh, again, you want long casts, you want smooth, easy fishing. That's what you're going to get with, uh, with that. So I love like that 30, that 30 pound is awesome for that. Um, and then, you know, depending on your situations, when you're flipping or frog fishing or whatever, you can definitely go with the smooth, the smoother braids, nicer to fish with for sure but um again it just it's going to take a little bit more talk about maintenance flipping with braid and leaders and um, do you go straight braid do you run a leader do you what do you do i you know i i personally am still a guy that's either straight floral or straight braid i've messed yeah. with the leader and dude it's I could see the benefits to it. I mean, we, we all use it on spinning exclusively braid to leader and the benefits are huge, but I've also just experienced enough frustration that sometimes when you're flipping, man, like, and it depends what you're flipping. If you're flipping grass, I really like, I really like that. Like I could see why you would use braid to a leader, but flipping wood where you might set the hook and fray the bottom seven feet of your line as you're wrestling that fish out of the wood, you're having to retie that all the whole setup, right? You're not yep. using a super long leader. So it's a hassle. Yep. Um, but grass is when you really see guys doing it. And it makes a lot of sense. You know, you're fishing grass, you're not going to be retying so much. You got the extra hook setting power, the extra sensitivity of the braid with no stretch. Um, but then you've got the invisibility and the smoothness of that fluorocarbon as it slides through the grass. Like you talked about how they feel it and they hear that braid, the fluorocarbon's just smooth as it drops through the grass. So I would say that would be the ultimate scenario to, to do it. Do you agree? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's how in, in Minnesota that fishing grass with the leader was a deal for sure. So, and if you're going to do that, you can do it. Like I'm an Alberto knock guy. If you're going to, you can do an Alberto knot, but really, 
if you really want to do it the right way, learning that FG knot yeah. and using that FG knot is what the real enthusiasts do with that technique. Did you take the time to learn that knot? I've tied a couple, but I'm not good at it, dude. It's okay. not, Rob's not an yeah. enthusiast. Why would you assume that that guy's an right. enthusiast? He doesn't well, dude, have a fishing hat on this morning. That's how little for, of an enthusiast he is. Yep. Have you no, seen that knot, Nick? Uh, no. That knot is check it out. Right? Watch someone yeah. tie it on YouTube. It's crazy. Like It's impressive, though. It's like an that. intense knot. Oh, it really is. Yep. <laughs> It takes a long time. There's a lot of wrapping going on, dude. <laughs> you need to bring That's a crazy. cold beverage. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, you talk to guys that do it, like the really, really good guys at it can do it on the water, but a lot are like, I just do this off the water. And then if it breaks <laughs> on the water, I'll use it at yeah. FG. I'm sorry, an Alberto or a uni knot because uh-huh. it, it's an intense knot, dude. My buddy, my buddy Chris in Minnesota has given him a hard time. I said the only reason he knows how to tie it is because it's long winters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go dude oh, that's hilarious it. you get a lot of practice but so now Got i am realizing that i'm you are the enthusiast and i'm not because i saw a youtube video for that the other day and i was like i need to know how to tie another not like i'm gonna go do something else so thank you for revealing my non-enthusiast status i'm gonna go get it as much it's as you a- fly fish you should know every knot yeah. Nick. as much as i fly fish yeah let's mm-hmm. see three times in the last decade i'm poser status bro like at, this weekend is so painfully revealing to me that it's just like man i used to be cool that's why i have that sticker on my minivan i used to be cool in the fishing world like 10 12 years ago that's like the the like the mantra i feel like so maybe the fg knot will breathe some revivalism back into me and yeah, we expect yeah, you to would. know it by next podcast. That's what luckily, we'll talk about all podcasts is how to tie the FG. And luckily, I'm incredibly intelligent, so I don't suspect any issues learning how to tie that <laughs> yeah. thing by next month. You might, record a you might have a week to learn it, and there's a chance you'll have two months to learn it. Who knows? <laughs> That's right. I, so I'm not worried about this bet at all. <laughs> Can you uh, tie a nail knot, Nick? Um, I'm sorry, you're breaking up. I think I'm going to log off. This is where I'm done because I don't know. How I to can't do tie a nail knot. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know how to drive a nail with a hammer. What makes you think I could tie a nail knot, dude? I'm barely. Uh, I see. I don't know, Nick. Although Nick definitely doesn't get out and fish as much as he like. He's and he's a joker. He can be humble at times. Oh, and like oof. with the thing about like on the bass fishing side. I fished with Nick so much. I kind of know what Nick knows about bass fishing, but on the fly fishing <laughs> side, I don't know if Nick is like a pretty damn good fly fisherman or like just not a fly fisherman. Just terrible. He's gone he goes a to lot the White River than... fly shop at Bass Pro and just buys random stuff. Walks <laughs> hey, around with a basket Pro, and looks at people. Well, no, and then there. I just I look at him and I'm like, you see what's in my basket? That's right. Better than you. Do you what do you think his level of fly fishing is, Rob? Oh, I don't want uh, to hear this. My ego is too sensitive for this. It's too fragile. Yeah, I can't. Do you think he's better or that. worse than you think? Or than he leads <laughs> off? Not than you think, but you think he's better know. than he leads off? Leads on? I, I, I can't even comment. I have no idea. No idea. S- suffice to say, I've caught many bonita fish, and those are considered trophy fish. And so that's <laughs> all you need to know. The question is, is he a better bass fisherman than a fly fisherman or a fly fisherman than a bass fisherman? Is that what the question is? That's a good way to if know. If I even qualify as a fisherman, then like be still my beating heart. Whatever. Me, and dude. now that I've had this romantic bro fest and I can ride into the week with my head high and a lot of confidence, let me end this podcast with a very random, um, perhaps highly enjoyable YouTube channel that I stumbled upon from a Sims real clip on Instagram. Uh, Justin Menendez is uh, apparently, I'm sure some people already know who he is, but I didn't know he's a saltwater. He's an inshore saltwater guy. He is a, he has some really enjoyable content on there. If you, you know, find yourself migrating towards the bathroom and you're tired of your social media feed, hop over there and check it out. He has a Ginu, like this tiny little boat that would never cut it on Canyon on a Saturday morning. You need like eight engines and like 40 feet of, you know, beam, but, uh, Dude, he it's cool. Like a lot of his videos, he throws some artificials, but a lot of it's live bait. But he like the whole video is him like throwing the cast net, catching the mullet or like whatever he's going to use. And then like he just ties into like every video feels like he catches a snook over 40 inches. And have you ever seen a big snook eat? I was unaware of how awesome this is. It no. literally sounds like my minivan falling off a bridge. Like wow. the, the vocal, like the, that's not the right word. The audio sound of it is 
all you have to do is watch one video where he catches a giant snook and hear it eat to be like, I need to watch every video. Like it's snook are like the saltwater equivalent of largemouth bass. I feel like even just a little bit bigger and meaner, but you know, they live in nasty stuff and they just, Oh, check that out. The next time you're doing some paperwork yeah. in the bathroom, cause it will not leave you hanging. Justin Menendez. He's tight. That's cool. Thanks for the uh, recommendation, man. And with that, you guys in. have, you guys have anything else? Cool. Rob's well, shaking uh, his head no. Yeah, thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, we are working on getting some guests lined up for upcoming episodes. And then again, don't forget to uh, email us if you guys have any uh, comments, suggestions, questions. We love doing Q&A. We haven't been asking for the Q&A much lately, but if you've got questions, send them to us. There's a 50-50 chance that we'll even reply, but we appreciate <laughs> you sending the email and we really could use it. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely use the question and we will get back to you, honestly. But um, thank you guys so much for tuning in and uh, we'll be back at you soon.